Good morning, church. It's been a while, but uh, God is good. It's good to see everyone here today. God is faithfully, excuse me, building his church, adding to his household. Amen. Growing those who are in his household in maturity, right, so that we can respond to life in Christian maturity. It's not about how much you know, right? It's about how you respond to life in how and what you know of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what you know about our, our, our God and Savior. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's an honor to be back. It's an honor to be able to uh, preach the gospel that God may be made known and loved and worshipped through Jesus Christ for his glory and for our joy. Amen? Amen? All right, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Amos. How many people feel that Amos is their favorite book. Raise your hands. Right, right. How many know where Amos is? Exactly. So if you need to use your table of content, you know, go for it. You need to pull up an app, feel comfortable. Go ahead and do that. Old Testament book. <clears throat> I'm going to use Amos as a launch pad um, to get into what I want to talk about today. I'm, I'll be tackling a, a, a broad subject, but I pray that uh, God blesses you with it. Amen? Amen. Um, Amos, turn with me to chapter 1, and we'll read specific verses, so um, follow me. I, I, I recommend that if you have a paper and pen, you're ready to take some notes. This is some good stuff to meditate on. It's, it's, a, a, it's a disservice for us to just leave the Word of God here on Sundays, we're to meditate on these things. This is what Paul told Timothy. Meditate on all the things that I taught you that God may give you understanding. Amen. Right? We roll over so many things in our minds throughout the week. Right? We can know it back and forth. Forward. Right? Back and forth. Excuse me. Yeah. But the main thing that we are to exalt in our minds is the word of God. It is by the word of God that we can know the will of God. It is by the word of God that we can know the person of God. Amen. Let's get into it. Amos chapter one. We're going to start at verse three. I'll be jumping around. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have thresh Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So if you have some notes, you can write next to that. Cruel treatment. Go to um, chapter 1, verse 6. For three, trans- for three transgressions of Gil- G- uh, Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have carried into exile a whole people. You can write next to that. Slavery. You can do the same to verse 9. Then go down to verse 11 of chapter 1. For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. You can write next to that. Unforgiveness. Then go to verse 13 of chapter 1. And it reads, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment 
because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilad that they might enlarge their border. That's a tricky one. You can write next to that um, enemy population control. You can write abortion. Okay? And we can do the same thing through chapter 2, but I want you to notice one common thread that we can see in the judgments of these nations. That thread is how they treated other people. You guys see that? How they treated other people. God is actually judging several of Israel's neighbors and Judah and Israel itself based on how they treated others, their social injustice, and also based on the rejection of the law of God. You guys see that? Before we get further into this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we say thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I pray for clarity right now. I pray that Christ be exalted. I pray that we learn of you. I pray that we grow in you. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Question for you. And I always start with a question, right? How do you deal with social injustice? Do you even believe that there's such a thing, right? If so, do you find yourself polarizing to one side or another? Are you quick to defend or accuse one side over the other because of how close to home it identifies with you? Have you found yourself amazed or even frustrated how others, even your friends, respond to blatant injustices? Is your own heart more prone to soften and mourn or fault fine or harden? Do you find yourself fearful or compelled to stand up with courage? A bigger question, can the world differentiate how you respond to social injustice from how it responds to social injustice? Do you know that as kingdom citizens, brothers and sisters, as kingdom citizens, there is a gospel response to social injustice. Do you know that? Such a response that if you do this, especially without complaining and um, arguing, you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. If we humble ourselves and do this, you will appear as lights in the world. Didn't Jesus say you're the light of the world? Right. So in the midst of social injustice, how does your light shine? That's what we need to look at. So from the scriptures, I want to share with you today a gospel response to social injustice. A gospel response to social injustice. And again, this is broad, but I want to try to hone it in. Amos will serve as a launch pad. I'll be trying to tie um, the Bible together <laughs> in this subject. Amen? How did that sound? All right, so before I get into it, I want to give you uh, my outline so you can track with me. First, I'll set the stage with a little background on who Amos is because he is not someone we're probably all familiar with, right? If you are, praise God. Second, I want to, def I want to define justice and social justice and look at biblical examples. Third, I want to, I want to identify the cause of social injustice the cause of social injustice. 
Then I want us to see how God responds to social injustice. And that's important because only after we see how God responds to social, social injustice can we have any idea how we as children of God are to respond to social injustice. Does that make sense? Amen. So there's five parts. Background. We're going to define justice and social injustice and look at biblical examples. Um, I want to identify the cause of social injustice. I want to see how God responds to social injustice and the believer's gospel response to social injustice. I know that's a lot of injustice and justice or justice and justice and everything, but bear with me. Bear with me. A little background. Try to put yourself in this situation. Imagine being in a country, a country where some experience privileges and advantages in various areas of life. Others, they lived in fear, poverty, maybe miseducation. A country where the poor, the widows, the orphans, and many who have their God-given differences are marginalized in various forms and fashion. There's slavery and exploitation of the lower class. A country that willfully neglects the knowledge of God. I mean, so much so that laws are passed to further agendas of selfish gain. Laws are made so restraints are placed on the innocent and lifted off the guilty. And sexual morality is so rampant, so bad, that a father and son could find themselves singing, or they could find themselves the same girl like R. Kelly or Usher, if you guys have heard that song. But even uglier than that situation, even uglier than that situation, a country full of religion and full of religious organizations, but no godly righteousness of the heart. Pretty dark place, huh? Right? Pretty dark place. This was Israel in the time of Amos. And this was Israel in the kingdom of God, north and south, Judah, Judah, um, many times for the prophets. And today this could be any nation, right? This could even be America. Huh. So Amos, is, he's a prophet who some would call the unprofessional prophet, not because he did bad things, but he was a farmer. He was a countryman. He was a country prophet from the south side of the kingdom. All right? From the south side of the kingdom. He was a herdsman. He was a keeper of, the, uh, of sheep and a, a, a vine dresser, uh, uh, not a vine dresser, a dresser of sycamore and fig trees. He was a farmer, right? But God called this man to be a prophet to the nations, and he was called during a time of great prosperity, Yet also, yet also a time of great oppression of the poor and persecution of the needy and downtrodden. Amos, as a prophet, he confronts the wicked rulers of Israel with their wickedness and unjust ways. And he calls them, he calls them to repentance. And he serves to us as a reminder that we live before a holy God and we are responsible. We are accountable to him. But with that, he also serves to remind us that God cares. He cares. And he's with us. And not only that, he's for us. Okay? 
So the book of Amos um, can be broken up into four major sections. The first two sections, which are chapter one through six, they, um, they begin with proclamations of God's judgment against Israel, Judah, and some of her neighbors. The third section, chapter uh, seven through nine, I believe verse 10, consists of five visions of divine judgment against Israel. And the fourth section, chapter nine, verses 11 through 15, promises restoration of fallen Israel. And Amos as a prophet, he actually addresses two major areas of sin. Idol worship and social injustice. Still going on today, right? All right. So the scripture gives us clear examples of both social justice and social injustices. So we're clear so we're clear. I want to define justice and social injustice. You guys ready? So justice is based on what is deserved. So if a teacher gives a student a D when the student deserves an A, to the student, the lower grade is what? It's an injustice, right? It's an injustice. It's not what is deserved according to the syllabus or deserved according to the rules, right? It's also unjust that the teacher gives a student a high grade they don't deserve. Oh, I know you. I know your parents. I'll give you the A, even though you haven't done homework all year. <laughs> even though you failed the final. <laughs> I know you, right? Partiality, right? Or we can look at life and death. Our sins are put on Christ, and Christ died, right? The penalty of death is what? The penalty of sin is what? Death, right. But after the price has been paid, it would be impossible, it would be unjust for Christ to stay dead because he had no sins, right? Hence the justice of his resurrection. You guys see that? He deserves to live because he never sinned, right? So social injustice now, social injustice. Is that clear on justice? Social injustice is the fair and proper application of laws so that all persons are to be treated equally and without prejudice. It's to judge and do rightly in relation to all others. When one is biased and false in business or in the courts or towards a particular people, it's, a un, it's, a, uh, it's unjust to that society of people, right? When the rights of the rich and the poor and the sojourner are impartially regarded, this is just. This is what we would call just, right? Especially before God. Now, the scriptures actually help to flesh this out. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20, Israel was to, they were appoint, they were to appoint judges and officers in their towns according to their tribes, and they were to, they were to judge the people with righteous judgments. Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20, not to pervert justice, not to show partiality, not to take a bribe because a bribe actually blinds the eyes of the wise and undermines the cause of the righteous. And in verse 20, justice, only justice was to be pursued. Why? To live and to inherit the land. In Psalms 72, verses 1 through 4, which is a prayer recognized as a prayer for Solomon and the anticipated Messiah. Verse 2 says, may he judge your people. This is social justice, right? In righteousness, 
your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, fruit of righteousness. And now he, sh- and he shows us what justice and righteousness demonstrate it looks like in verse 4. And it reads, may he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Brothers and sisters, if you were to survey history, you would see that social injustice has been committed by every generation in every nation. And within those generations and nations, there are common groups that are formed. Think about it. You can see some of those today. Much like in America, you have those who see the blatant injustices going on and they push back in various ways, right? Then you have those who choose a side uh, not based on right or wrong, but based on how close the situation resonates with them. If you wear a badge, I'm going to side with the badges, right? If you're a minority, I'm going to side with the minorities, right? Then you have, if you're you're rich, I'm going to side with the rich, It benefits me. If you're poor, you side with the poor. Then you have those who see and agree, but they don't want any problems, right? They're more devoted to the order of things than justice among among all people. They fear the consequences of the pushback. um, Then you have those who say, just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. Even though The gospel is sufficient to save men. But the deficiency is when you don't fail or when you fail not to do as Paul did and become all things to all men that that some might be saved. Okay? And then you have those who, usually flavored with self-righteousness, deliberately oppress and or deny any social injustice. And there's more. That's just to identify a few. But we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, what is the cause of social injustice? What's the cause of social injustice? What would cause people to withhold from others what they, what they want themselves, right? What would cause people to disregard society's hurting, needy, and less fortunate? To name a few, the widows, the orphans, the sojourners, the outcasts, whether it's due to skin color or culture or even those in sexual, uh, sex trafficking. Brothers and sisters, God actually clearly, clearly tells us in the scripture, the sure answer is sin, right? But we can identify a specific sin that always leads any nation and its societies into social injustice. That sin, mark this down, that sin is the rejecting of the knowledge of God. The cause of social injustice is rejecting the knowledge of God. This is one sure way to bring justice to yourself as a nation. It It doesn't matter how well you can make a nation prosper. If you reject the knowledge of God, you will bring the judgment of God. To that nation. And Amos says this about the kingdom of Judah as it stood in judgment in Amos chapter 2. We're back in Amos chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Because you rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lives also have led them astray, though, uh, those after which their fathers walked. So in Amos, we see that the kingdom of Judah had rejected 
God by rejecting his laws. And the danger of that is the law of God reveals to us his righteous standard, right, in our relation to him, right, and others. His law is an extension of his nature into creation, right? So to reject his revealed law is to reject him. Rejecting God was a big problem, a consistent problem that Israel and Judah had. They were to be the light to the nations. They were to testify of the true and living God amongst the unbelieving nations of the earth. They were to love, the, they were to love God who loved them, and they were, they were to demonstrate that love of God to others as his chosen people. But sadly, they rejected the knowledge of God. And their sin towards God began to manifest amongst themselves in unrestraint. They did what they wanted to do. They did what they thought was to their own advantage. Now, Proverbs 29 verse 18 teaches us this. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, the word vision here is not talking about supernatural dreams or, uh, or a vision. It's referring to the revelation of God's person and his will. Because in the past, God would actually speak to the prophets and many times in various ways. Dreams is one of those ways. But those dreams um, had instructions for God's people. So the proverb is saying where there is an ignorance of God's nature and law, the people are unrestrained. And we call this what? Lawlessness. We call this lawlessness. If you don't believe me that rejecting of the knowledge of God is the cause of social justice, let's look at, a, let's look at another prophet. Hosea, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, Hosea, he's another prophet. Um, he was sent to call the nation of God's people back to repentance or back to God through repentance um, after they broke away from his covenant with him. With him. So Hosea chapter 4, 1 through 3 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. And in verses 2 through 3, we see the fruit of lawlessness that naturally follows not knowing God. They're swearing, verse 2, lying, murder, stealing and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Verse three, therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, even the fish of the sea are taken away. Now in Hosea, he then shifts to the prophets and the priests because they failed to actually instruct God's people in God's law. And we actually should pay close attention to verse 6 because it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, and he's still talking about the knowledge of God here, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. You guys see that? Not only is rejecting the knowledge of God the cause of social injustice today, but if we do not get a hold of it now, future social injustice is a consequence of the knowledge of God not being kept now. Think about it. Think about this for your homes. 
If you don't value and teach the knowledge of God today, praying that the Lord might cause your children to walk in his ways, there will be no restraint for your children tomorrow. And don't we see that in our communities today? We sure do. Haven't we seen the gradual deconstruction from generation to generation? The deconstruction of the, of the family, of education, of government, right? Law enforcement. All because God's ways of doing things is not known or is rejected. What do you expect to happen when you re remove the knowledge of God from the courtrooms? What do you expect to happen when you remove God from your schools? So what's really going on in America today is we as a nation have turned from the knowledge of God. We have erected idols of self and that manifests itself in what God calls lawlessness. Lawlessness. You have some, and I repeat some, some, because I'm in law enforcement myself. You have some in law enforcement and other agencies of authority who don't know or fear God. Yet all authority is given by God, right? When this happens, there will be an inevitable perversion of a God-given system. You guys get that? That's what sin does. It perverts. And when darkness is heavy in offices that are designed to be light, it actually veils the glory of God for those offices. It causes people to hate or despise that which was designed for good because good is not being demonstrated. That too causes sin and rebellion in, area, in the areas of truth of God, uh, in areas that the truth of God is to be ministered to. So as a side note, take note to this. As a side note, this is why we need believers in every position to be salt and light. So we can minister the truth of God in every position. We need believing leaders and authorities who fear God and desire to minister social justice. We need believers who know the law and teach others to observe and obey to the glory of God. And I want to be clear, I don't expect anything less from sinners who don't know God. Right? Sinners are going to do what sinners do, no matter where they work. But for us who do know God, who are called to be salt and light, to, who are called to exhibit beautiful attitudes in the Beatitudes, right? When we're not living as though we know God, when we're not using the law appropriately to where it looks like love for our God and our neighbors, we're like Israel, who had become so ineffective in their witness that they, they, that they could no longer point the other nations to the living God. Like Israel and Judah and the other unbelieving nations, when the church rejects the knowledge of God, there will be unresolved disputes amongst us. That's what will happen. We'll always be at all with one another. When the church rejects this, we can be we become ineffective witnesses to the world who don't know and who don't see the glory of God. So, brothers and sisters, the rejecting of the knowledge of God is the cause of social injustice. Rejecting such knowledge is to reject God. To reject 
God is to enter into lawlessness. And lawlessness is only a temporary benefit to the lawless because God must respond. He must respond. So how does God respond to social injustice? Think about that. That's a, that's a, a vital question because in a time of social injustice, a big question is, where is God? Does he care? Does he see what's going on with me right now? Or is he so big and got other things going on that I'm just a, a, a drop in the bucket? Right? People wonder, where is God in the midst of injustice? So we need to evaluate how God responds to social injustice. Brothers and sisters, God responds the same way he does to any sin. He responds according to what is consistent with his character and nature. The Bible says the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 through 7. The Bible also says, I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Hmm. For in these things, there's the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 24. So brothers and sisters, what we can consistently see in the scriptures is this. When mankind fails to uphold justice, God responds by stepping in to exercise justice himself. He does this by his own hand against the unjust. And when God does this, he is responding according to his unchanging character. He judges the nations impartially according to their sin. So the reason a people are uprooted and exiled and kicked out of a land is usually because they have practiced what is an abomination to God. Did you guys know that? I know you can look through all um, history and you can look at the atrocities that mankind has committed, right? But the Bible tells us, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, it's because nations are practicing abominations before the Lord and God uses other nations to discipline them that they, that, that they may turn to the living God in their suffering and be saved. Look at the record of every kingdom and dynasty throughout history. As their sins are stored up, God himself eventually steps in and he casts down that nation by using another. You can see that from Africa to Asia to Europe and even the Americas. Right. Columbus wasn't the first one here. Right. Right. But we do have a record of what religious uh, mindset was going on before anyone came. Right. Now, according to God's character, 
as God is exercising justice, he's also showing mercy. I think that that's really important for us also to see. As he's exercising justice, remember, he's a merciful God as well. He sends warnings to the nations that they might turn from their sins and turn to him and learn of him. Now, these warnings to repent and turn to the Lord came through natural disasters, what we call natural disasters. These warnings came through his prophets, ultimately leading to Christ as the final sign to the world to repent and also to the church who is the body of Christ to the world today. Amen. So back in the book of Amos, Amos chapter four, Amos chapter four, verses six to 11, um, God gives us some examples of how God judges yet is showing mercy. And what he's doing in this time is he's allowing a time of repentance. Now keep in mind, we're looking at how God responds to social injustice with justice and mercy, all right, according to his character and his nature. Amos 4, verse 6 to 10, 6 through 10, it speaks of what we would call natural disasters, right? Verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Like, what the heck does that mean? Okay, so basically what's going on is this means they had nothing to eat. They had nothing to eat. God withheld food from the land. This was actually a penalty that God warned back in Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. It was a penalty of sin, hunger. But it was also an indicator that they needed to seek God. You guys see that? But yet... You did not return to me, declares the Lord. In verse 9, rain was withheld in vital times of the year. Rain was withheld. So you can imagine the nations with signs like Sacramento, brown is the new green. Right? That's because God was withholding out of penalty of sin. He was withholding rain, which was vital for their seasons to harvest so they can feed themselves. Yet, this was also an indicator that they needed to see God. And we can skip down to verses 10 to 11. And this is something that we still see today. Young men were dying in the streets. The youth were dying in the streets. Yet despite God's repeated mercy, in verse 10 through 11, you see being plucked out of the burning. That's what he's talking about, God's repeated mercy. There was no repentance. So God's response to social injustice is the exercise of justice by his own hand. He makes the oppressor the oppressed. He brings the high low. He humbles the nation and causes some within to cry out to him for salvation. He reveals what, is, he reveals what, really, mean, what it really means to practice doing to others what they would have done to them. So as they desired mercy for their sins, they were to learn to show mercy. As they desired justice, when the other nations took them into exile and killed them and made them outcasts, they were to learn to practice justice and righteousness towards others. You see, as God actively responds to social injustice, he causes some to see the glory of God. They see his faithfulness and his love and that he has heard their cries and not neglected those 
when they cry out. He has not neglected justice when all others have. Graciously pointing sinners to himself. That's how God responds. Now, the ultimate way that God responds to social injustice is by giving who? His son, Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate way. God himself gives us justice in Jesus Christ, and social justice is now uh, social justice now has a way to be restored under the truth of the gospel. Okay, so remember that there were judgments for rejecting the knowledge of God, which resulted in social injustices. But within those judgments, God always had a message of redemption. You can see this consistency in every single prophet. They would come gloom and doom. Restoration. God is going to break you down for your sins, but he's going to build you back up in holiness. Amen? Every book of the Old Testament points to the one, the Holy One of God, who would come and do what God required. In Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12, the Messiah is actually pointed to. He is the one who was raised up for the booth of David, the one who would restore Israel. In other words, he will restore the dynasty of the kingship of David. You got to remember, David was a man after God's own heart. He will put an end to sin and social injustice by uniting the nations under the name of God. Now, Isaiah Another prophet speaks of the Lord's chosen servant in Isaiah 42, the one whom God, God's soul delights in, the one who would bring forth justice to the nations, the one God called as a covenant promise to the people, a light to the nations, one who would open the eyes uh, that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Who's he talking about? Christ. And in Matthew 12, verses 18, this is echoed when God says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with him, uh, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So when speaking of the evils of injustice and oppression and denying the Lord and turning, of, uh, turning from following God, When speaking of these things, the prophet Isaiah speaks of redemption through a redeemer. Again, in Isaiah 59, verse 16, it says, The Lord saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And he's speaking of Christ. Again, God's response to social injustice is the exercise of justice by his own hand. God actively pursues justice for us. Isn't that good news? For us. While we were under slavery and the oppression of sin, God pursued justice for us. Christ stands up for us when no one else is willing and no one else is able to. And by his blood, we have forgiveness of sins and right standing with God. So, so, we who have been, we who have, we who have received justice are now to do just things. 
You got that? We who have received justice in response are to do just things. So, a gospel response to social injustice, brothers and sisters, as children of God, as imitators of Christ, our gospel response is to pursue and do justice, love mercy for the glory of God. Not to really talk about it, but to actively pursue means of justice in times of injustice. This is what Christ did out of love as he revealed the glory of the Father. This is what our love is to look like as imitators of who? Jesus Christ. This is how we are to practice our righteousness. Amen? So if the Lord practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, if he delights in these things, as Jeremiah 9.24 says, what are his people to delight in? Right? What are we to delight in? Our gospel response is to pursue and do justice, love such mercy for the glory of God. We are to keep our vows, right? We're to tell the truth. We're to preserve life so help us God. We're to pursue justice so it spills out to social justice. Amen? God puts it like this in Amos chapter 5 verse 24. Amos 5 to 24, but let justice roll like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. This means that God desires our justice and righteousness to be dependable, to be strong and constant like an ever flowing stream. You guys see that? Because God's justice is consistent. God's justice is dependable. God's justice and righteousness is constant, so it shall be for his children. Amen? Jeremiah 22, verse 3 says, do justice. Don't just talk about it. Do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also do, also do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Another prophet, Micah 6, verse 8. Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good. You know what's right. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness. And this is kindness in, in relation to others. Love kindness, do justice, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen? But let's be real. Even though we know what we ought to do, we know we ought to pursue and do justice and love mercy for the glory of God, what does that look like? It's hard, right? It's hard. We're all different, and it may look different for different people. I know some are thinking, like, I'm not Ron, Jesus. (laughs) I am not Ron. I know Jesus did it perfectly, but I am not Jesus. I'm sorry. You know what I meant. I'm not Ron. But you know what I meant. I'm not Jesus, Ron. Amen. 
Thank God for clarity. It's like the spirit was just like, hey. Okay. Anyway. We're not Jesus, Ron. We're not perfect. That's true. He is our perfection, amen? But like Jesus, we must see the times for what they are. We have to see what, how, where, where we're living in time. God permits these things. Mark this down. God permits these things that we might look forward to the fullness of God's kingdom where all nations, all tribes, all tongues are living in ethnic harmony and in harmony with authority as there will be all kinds of people in the kingdom and there will be cities with just rulers and authority in the kingdom to come. God permits time of social injustice so we can reach out and find those affected and preach the gospel to them and to live it out in love towards them that they might be saved, that they might see the glory of God by our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? God permits times of social injustice so you can utilize the skills and the giftings he's given you to do your part as Christ did his part. Maybe it looks like for you peaceful protesting. Maybe it looks like you sitting with a victim or sending support. Maybe it looks like you writing your lawmakers and voting against laws or politicians that will promote social injustice. Maybe like Christ, it may cost you your life or your reputation. Maybe it may mean abuse for you to do justice. But like Jesus, when they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So the reality is, social injustices really cause us to see where we are in our hearts, right? Think about this. Every time you see a social injustice, whether you turn on the news, which they might as well call bad news, right? Anytime you read it, doesn't it cause something to happen in your heart? Does it? They really cause us to See how far our practice of righteousness goes. It causes us to have to define what our Christian love looks like. Amen? Whatever it may be, brothers and sisters, may your response point people back to your strength and hope, Jesus Christ. And may your response point people forward to a reign of justice to come. Amen? If you're not a believer today, God is just. He will do what is right. He will not pardon sin outside of Jesus Christ. The gospel being preached is a mercy to you today. Will you turn from your sins and seek the Lord's way? If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But turn from your sin. Come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Believers, as you experience social injustice in the world, and you will experience social injustice even amongst your own brethren, 
Remember, your response is to be different from how the world responds. Your response is to be a gospel response. Stand for justice. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. But in your response, make sure your priority is to point anyone and everyone to the just one. That they may be encouraged that justice is coming. And I can look for it in the earth. Primarily through God's own people. The church. The body of Christ. And if I can't see it in the church, oh, man, judgment is coming to the nation. You know that? Because, again, we have a testimony in Scripture when the people of God are not doing what they're supposed to do as light bearers in the world of darkness. God himself steps in and he demonstrates justice even amongst his own people with the promise of salvation for some restoration, right, and hope. Be encouraged in your times of social injustice and yet encourage in times of social injustice because God is just. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you have orchestrated all things for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned us to just deal with life. You have given us appropriate responses to life that we may reflect you, that we may know you as we walk in obedience. We thank you for justice. We thank you for righteousness. Cause us to be heavy on our heart that we may do justice before others, that others may see your glory and that some might be saved. Help us, Lord, to see your glory and justice when we experience social injustice ourselves, that we might be encouraged. These things I ask in Jesus' name, amen.